your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Daniel, chapter 3. Now, even you children are going to know the message today. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, we've never heard those names before, but they're Persian names. They're Babylonian names, actually. And uh, we're going to talk about that today. Uh, the God of His people. The God of His people. Daniel chapter 3, and um, uh, you know the context, that uh, there has been a pronouncement and a decree from the king that uh, all those who are in the kingdom have to bow down to this uh, brazen idol associated with a huge furnace. As a matter of fact, uh, much of that religion, uh, some of the children were sacrificed in those contexts. It must have been a very gruesome and uh, heart-wrenching type of experience. And so um, there are, along with Daniel, some of his friends, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who, who, by the way, that's not in their original Hebrew names. Their names were changed. We'll talk about that and why. And um, they refused to, uh, to bow down to the idols and the gods of their captors in Babylon. And so, the Word of God from Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And um, let's just speak immediately about what uh, the consequences of taking that action. You know that there were consequences to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's uh, decision uh, to... Uh, to not bow down to the idol, you know that the consequence was was death. But the seriousness of that situation and that stand was pretty powerful. And you remember how the story goes, um, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego are thrown into the fiery furnace. And... um, there is, uh, even the soldiers who got near the furnace that threw them in, uh, died. And, uh, the king from a distance looks into the furnace and what, what does he see? He sees, he sees four people. Did, didn't we throw three people in there? <laughs> uh, who is that fourth one in there walking, walking around <laughs> with them? And, uh, and, uh, it, it's a pretty amazing story. And, and I want you to think with me today about that. And then I want you to think about how God worked in Nebuchadnezzar's life, who was king of a, most one of the powerful nations that has ever existed. Think about God's work in Nebuchadnezzar's life through Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those whom he took captive who knew the Lord. Uh, what I what I tell people is be careful if you take God's children captive. 
<laughs> That's all I've got to say about that. <laughs> uh, and isn't that, isn't that the truth? Um, I thought about this sermon, how to approach it. Um, again, the last year and a half, two years have been extremely difficult. And I could talk about all kinds of fronts. <laughs> it all seemed to kind of come at once. It's kind of the perfect storm, if I can describe it that way. Um, but one of the things I noticed is the ungodliness that rose out of that, that was apparent. That, that is, that became visible. You know what I mean by that? The ungodliness sometimes covers itself and hides itself. But in the process of all of that, all of a sudden the ugliness of sin and, and, and the devil really just seemed to manifest itself. And I remember saying more than once, um, I wonder how Christians are going to live in the light of all this ungodliness and all of this immorality and all that we're living in today and all of the attacks upon the family and, and the unborn and, and uh, government, um, how, how the tax upon Christ and the church, how, how are we going to, Lord, make it through all of that and, and do all of that? And um, kind of was having a little pity party. But you know something? The Lord took me to His Word. And can I tell you something? As the Bible unfolds and man falls into sin and away from his Creator... One of the things that I noticed throughout Scripture is that God's children saved in this world have always lived in an ungodly context, haven't we? Really, think about it. I was thinking about dear old Joseph. <laughs> Poor boy. I mean, here he is and he goes through life and world experiences and uh, he's a young man and he's applied to Yale and he hasn't gotten back his information yet, and he's waiting to go to college, but his brothers throw him into a pit. <laughs> and uh, things didn't work out just like he thought they were going to work out. Has your life worked out just like you thought? No, not mine either. And, uh, but, but have you had a strong sense as a believer of God's work in your life? Our God is a God of His people even in the context of ungodliness. I watched, uh, I think that there's no greater example in some sense than Daniel living in an ungodly context. Uh, a, a foreign nation who has actually taken his whole nation captive. And that whole nation has been brought in subservience uh, to King Nebuchadnezzar. Instead of the Lord God and the temple being the focus, now all the Hebrew children have been taken to Babylon for the most part, if not killed. And then they have been assimilated. They have been taken into Babylon. And they have become the servants of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, can you imagine Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are taken into captivity would you say that that would be a cause for despondency among Daniel and his friends? Would you say that I remember the house I had back in Jerusalem? Remember the times we had together? Remember the temple 
uh, all that we had the benefit of. And now our whole nation has just been devastated and we've been taken into captivity. How would you, how would you be responsive uh, if if your nation was taken captive by another nation and you became the servants of that nation? Can you can you think with me for just a moment as to what that would look like? How would it affect your life? And my question was, as I thought about that, would I be a Daniel in that context? Would I be a Shadrach, a Meshach, and a Abednego in that context of severity? In that kind of change, would I still be known by the Lord? And would He know me? And would I know Him? And would I walk with Him even in that context? And would I be willing to do what these three did is to uh, be willing to pay the price. Remember, we talked about Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, just this uh, past Wednesday, and we talked about the cost of discipleship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, is a German Lutheran pastor who loves the Lord. He is uh, very much a part of the uh, intellectual scene of the United Kingdom and in many of the uh, prestige colleges of America. He comes and speaks as quite a scholar, quite a Christian, and the war is about to break out. And um, he reports to his colleagues that he's going back to Germany in 1939. And, and his colleagues say, what? Please don't go. Don't, don't go under the tyranny of Hitler and uh, back to Germany. His comment was, if I do not go for Christ's sake and minister to my people now in their time of spiritual need, I will not have the privilege and the right to go back after the war is over. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer, just as uh, the war erupts, goes back to Germany and he begins to minister to his people there in Germany. And of course, um, he's very much a, a Christian, uh, very much a disciple of the Lord ministers to the Germans in that context. Uh, he even realizes that the tyranny, just think about this as a Christian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer realized that the tyranny of Hitler needed to be done away with. And so he became a part of a coalition that sought the demise and the, the overthrow of Hitler. And Hitler found out about it. He was arrested and placed in the concentration camp under guard daily. 24 hours a day. Um, just several weeks before that prison camp was liberated in 1945, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hung by Hitler. He um, was he had led his the guard that was keeping him to Christ, <laughs> the German guard that was leading him to Christ, and uh, so it was the day for his hanging, and the guard came to get him and he profusely apologized to Dietrich Bonhoeffer for leading him to the gallows. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the statement that he made to this guard was, um, uh, dear, dear friend, uh, do not be ashamed to do your duty and be not alarmed for you are simply escorting me into the arms of my Savior. Isn't that amazing? You are simply escorting me into the arms of my Savior. 
And that day, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hung. And uh, the camp was liberated a few weeks uh, later. And uh, I thought about the, the example of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And while he was in prison, he wrote the book, The Cost of Discipleship. That is, what it means to walk with the Lord in the context in which you live. And I noticed the difference. I can read Daniel, and it's interesting. Sometimes I pick up on something, sometimes I won't. But I tell you what, it's a different story when you're living it. Isn't it? I tell you what, you may miss a beat in Scripture with regard to Daniel's life, but when it comes to your life spiritually and daily, you don't miss a beat, do you? Do you miss a beat from day to day, 24 hours a day? Do you know who you are as a Christian? Do you know what you're dealing with in the world? Yes. And, and listen, you don't meet a beat. You are Daniels. You are Daniels in Babylon. Babylon. You are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Babylon. And my dear friends, um, I believe that with all my heart that Daniel and his friends, even in captivity, God had no intention of stopping his work. And I believe that Daniel and his friends were emissaries to minister to Babylon. As a matter of fact, doesn't it amaze you as you look at Daniel, the whole book, isn't it amazing how this captive, this slave of Nebuchadnezzar, um, is is they they are influential even in ungodly Babylon that God is at work in their lives regardless of the context they're slaves they're captives uh, what power do they have <laughs> they they have no power except what we tell them to do oh well God is the God of His people. And where His people go, what? Where God's people go, God goes and is present and is there. My dear friends, and don't ever underestimate that. When you're in a context in which you're the underdog and you're not sure, remember who God is in your life. And remember that you don't have to be urgent about changing things. You know, you can be at peace in an ungodly situation and you can watch God work even in that context. You can be amazed at what God will do in that situation of difficulty. It's pretty amazing. Martin Luther finds himself in a context in which he is being challenged even by the church and by the powers that be with regard to his stands and the doctrines of Scripture and of grace. And uh, my dear friends, was that a difficult situation? Oh, yes. And they asked him to do what? They asked him to, to recant. They asked him to deny, to change his mind about the positions that he's taken on Christ and justification by faith and Scripture. And what does he say to them? He, he has the courage to say what? Unless I'm convinced by Scripture... Or by the Lord Himself, um, I, I can neither change my mind because it's a dangerous position to be in to take your stand against God and His Word. Here I stand, I can do no other. And so He 
was called upon to take a position. And let, let me ask you a question. It must have been a fearful thing to be before all the powers that be and to have to take your stand for Christ. But my question is, would you be willing to do it? Are you so walking with the Lord and know the Lord to such an extent that you would not deny your Lord in the context in which you might have to live? I thought about, uh, I thought about Lot who took his um, house across the river. <laughs> and uh, it didn't turn out very well, did it? And did, he, did Lot live in an ungodly context? Can I, can I say something to you? It was much like today. Do you know, much like the context you're living in today. Very much like the context you're living in today. And I want to ask you a question. Did Lot pray? Yes, Lot prayed. Did God hear his prayer? And let me ask you a question. Could Lot hardly do anything about his situation? No, he was not in a position. He was already, quote unquote, in a compromised context. In an ungodly context. He was having to be on his guard. Can I ask you the question, who delivered Lot? The Lord God personally delivered Lot. Personally. And brought him out of that context. I find that amazing. That does, sometimes we will put ourselves in a spiritual position uh, where ungodliness is known or an undue influence that ought not to be in our life and how God delivers us from such things. And uh, he, uh, he was living in that context. Joseph lived under that kind of context. Uh, there, there are many others. I remember when David was first anointed king, of his people, did David have to run? Was David under stressful circumstances? Yes, because Saul was not going to go easily. It was under great arrest that his life was being sought. Um, go back to Martin Luther. When Martin Luther, after that uh, diet of worms, he... Um, he fled. His friends um, warned him that he was in danger for the position that he had taken and his refusal to take back the stands that he had taken. So they had to take him uh, away. And uh, by the way, during that period of time, he translated the Scriptures into German so that um, uh, God's people would have the Scriptures in their own language. I thought that was pretty interesting. You can still go to that castle and there was such a, when he was translating the scriptures into German so that the people would have the gospel in their own language. Uh, Martin Luther writes about the devil being so vividly present that as he was writing, he picked up the inkwell and did what with it? Yeah, he threw it uh, where the devil was. And you know, you can go to the castle and you can still see the ink on that wall. I thought about uh, the power of the devil is, is great and greatly manifested in our day. 
But great is our God and sovereign is He to deliver through all circumstances that His children might be in. You see, I, I, I looked at Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's life and I was thinking, what if I were in that context? Uh, what kind of Christian would I be? And one of the things that I would say to you, uh, I would say that Daniel and Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, that their devotion to Christ intensified in their adversity. They, they understood the seriousness of the implications of their Christian life before God to bear testimony to Him within the context that they were in. They knew that the context that they in was oppressive. They knew that it was ungodly. And so, therefore, it intensified, I think, by the work of the Holy Spirit in their life, even more so to guard and to do those things that honored God. As a matter of fact, one of the, I read a little devotion that says, actually, Daniel's prayer life and his devotional life intensified. <laughs> as he was in captivity. I, I find that fascinating. He's probably in the most oppressive, ungodly context that he could ever be, and yet the Lord worked in his life to intensify his devotion to God and to live accordingly in that context. My prayer is that in the light that you, all that you've been through over the last couple of years, I pray that it will serve the purpose to intensify your devotion in an ungodly culture. Amen? Lord, help us to be Daniels. Lord, be, work in our lives in such a way that, that we would stand before you as your children, understanding uh, the ungodliness of the days. We're not naive. God, God has not called us either to a spirit of timidity. He has called us to a very serious stand for him in these days. And it is my earnest prayer that, that he will so work in your life that you will stand for him. Um, I believe that God sent Daniel and his friends to Babylon for a purpose. Matter of fact, as you unfold Daniel, do you see the purposes of God? Matter of fact, you see Daniel uh, going into Babylon, uh, his friends going into Babylon, and boy, I'm going to tell you what, the fireworks just begun. Good fireworks over the fourth, by the way. I enjoyed that. It's good to be back, wasn't it? Enjoy that. But boy, the fireworks just begun when Daniel and his friends get in that context. May, may God give us a sense of who we are as his children and in the context of which we've been called to live at the present time. Do you know that Babylon itself um, is a term in Scripture? Do you know the significance of the term Babylon? Babylon is identified in Scripture from beginning to end to the end of Revelation um, as the representative of the nation of evil, the epitome of evil, known as the Great Babylon. Great Babylon in the book of Revelation, speaking of, of all of sin. And who is the primary representative? Babylon, the very place that Daniel and his friends are at. Isn't that amazing? I thought about that. Um, Daniel and his friends um, were under tremendous pressure to conform in the context of slavery. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar did. As Nebuchadnezzar uh, conquered a nation, he would get rid of all the weak 
but he would take the best of that nation and he would enslave them and bring them to Babylon to serve the nation. They were servants of the nation. And actually, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their names of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, all were biblical names with biblical meanings honoring to God. What is the first thing that Nebuchadnezzar did when he brought them? He changed their name. Your name is not Hananiah anymore. Your name's not Mishael anymore. Your name is not Azariah. We're not going to have any of this spiritual name stuff. We don't do that in Babylon. Your names now are going to be names that I give you. Shadrach, Meshach, and you're Abednego, Azariah. Because those are Babylonian names. What uh, do you need to a people to enslave them? You need to, first of all, conquer them. And then you need to assimilate them. You need to put pressure on them to conform. And you need to provide everything that is necessary for that, that confirmation to take place. That transformation. Nebuchadnezzar says, I am going to transform you and assimilate you into Babylonian culture. We don't know anything about that in American culture, do we? The pressure to conform. The pressure to conform. Christians, you are going to be assimilated whether you like it or not. Well, now all I've got to say about that is be careful of the power that you take to yourself in matters such as that. Paul writes, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, my dear friends, uh, there was tremendous pressure uh, to conform. And, and we sense it all around us. Um, I, I find how influential commercials are. Have you noticed the, the change in commercials? It's pretty strange to see the pressure of economics and conformity. It, it, it's, it's amazing to me. It's rooted spiritually, by the way. You need to know that. It's rooted spiritually. And I encourage you um, not to be conformed, not to take in the propaganda. And it is what it is, isn't it? Isn't it is? Propaganda. If, if you feed something to someone long enough, what is the hope? If you feed something to someone long enough, they'll collapse under it. And they'll give way to it. And you know that's what the hope and the approach is of culture today. The hope is that you as Christians are going to give way. It's going to be a matter of attrition. We'll outlast you. But you know there's one thing that's, that's underestimated in that whole dynamic of to conform and that's the, that God is the God of His people. <laughs> God is the God of His people. And there is one who carries influence that defends you and I as a Christian that the world does not have. And you need to rest in that consolation that as you are under tremendous pressure to conform, your names have been changed. Chapter 1, what is another, what is another thing? It's a very simple thing, but it was another thing that uh, Daniel and his friends 
uh, were, were to conform to. Well, they, were con- they were, had to conform with the delicacies of the food of Nebuchadnezzar's court. And apparently there was just all kinds of abundance of kinds of foods there. But apparently uh, Daniel and his friends had been eating differently. And what did they say? Uh, King was a little bit offended that they wouldn't eat from the court. And what ends up happening is that they say, Oh, King, you know, just let us eat some of our, uh, our normal food that we normally eat for so many days. And uh, they came back the 40 days. And what did Nebuchadnezzar notice? Did you know what Nebuchadnezzar noticed? What did Nebuchadnezzar notice? He noticed that Daniel and his friends were ten times healthier and more robust than any of the servants in the court. And guess what? I, I love God when He works. <laughs> I just love to watch. Here, God is beginning to work in the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. He is beginning to show Nebuchadnezzar that he is God. And he does it by just a little thing of noticing what's in the life of his children. And he said, oh, forget those. I want those right there to serve me in my court. I want those boys from Israel. (laughs) I want those guys to serve me. Because, man, look at how healthy they look. And you see, Nebuchadnezzar begins to change. As a matter of fact, Nebuchadnezzar really changes when? When he walks out onto his veranda one day and he says, look what I've done. And God says, bang. And he says, hee-haw, (laughs) hee-haw. Well, uh, you may accomplish a lot of things, but don't turn into a donkey or a beast. (laughs) Be careful. Just be careful about what you take to yourself. And claim what you've done. Even Nebuchadnezzar, one of the greatest kings that have ever, ever lived. I tell you another thing that uh, they face. Not only the, the strain to conform to the culture. But it seemed like, it seemed like at that time the, the devil was winning. Have you ever felt that pressure over the last couple of years or so? It just felt like that sin was winning. That uh, evil was overcoming good. But can I tell you one of the things that you see in Daniel is that was not so. They may not have been the consensus. As a matter of fact, uh, they were the remnant. God's people in this world will always be the remnant. Didn't you know that? Haven't you learned that from the beginning that you are the remnant? Yeah, it's not the great group. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many are they that go that way. But narrow is the gate that leads to life. And there are few that find it. You're the remnant. And my dear friends, as the remnant in this world of God's children, you have to live as the minority. But then your prayers are with the majority. Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, you have to live in the minority, but your prayers are with what? The majority of heaven, of the host of God, and all of His angels that serve Him, and the very enthronement of our Lord Jesus Christ at the right hand of His Father, who all authority has been given in Him in heaven and earth. And my dear friends, uh, it may, you may seem small, but you are not by any stretch of the imagination. 
In all these things, God showed Himself to be their God in the context in which they lived. And it was not good. One of the things that I notice about Daniel as well is in their stand for the Lord is that they were willing to, they were willing and ready to accept the consequences of the decisions that they made that came down to it when they butted heads with Nebuchadnezzar. Is that true? Were they willing to accept the consequences of what that meant? You may be called upon and challenged in many ways, and I hope that you will have the strength to stand for your Lord. For He is not only the God of Babylon, but He is God of the nations. He is the God of your life. Ultimately, the direction that you're headed, we're headed toward our journey home. Aren't we? Isn't it good to know the greater sense of your context spiritually in the minority in terms of where you're headed? Is it too much a price to pay for you to walk with the Lord now? In all of its difficulty, in all the face of ungodliness in light of eternity, isn't it far better to walk with the Lord now and pay the price? Because the Lord promised, I love what the Lord Jesus taught. He said, well, when you give a banquet... Um, he said, and they, they don't come. He said, listen, uh, call the poor and the sick and those who can't pay you back. And he said, set them at the table. He said, because they, they can't repay you. And there were banquets and stuff in which they uh, commiserated and patted each other's back and fed each other. And, and I love what the Lord said. The Lord said, when you have a banquet, invite those who can't repay you, the poor since the others have not accepted them, and filled the house and the banquet hall with, with those who can't pay you back. And he says, guess what? I love what the Lord said. He said, and I will pay you back in the day of resurrection. Oh, oh, good gracious. Can you imagine? <laughs> and, I, oh, it, you serve me now. Just serve me under the circumstances of ungodliness. Be led by me. Serve me in the difficulty of the stress of the situation and I'll lead you and I'll provide for you and you continue to minister the grace of Christ in humility in that context and I will be with you. I am the God of my people and I will lead them. And you know, one of the things I always think about the beauty of the church in almost some of the most depths of ungodliness God raises up His children to minister to not only to one another in those difficult times, but also to others who have need. You see, I don't think a little food closet is just a simple thing in the midst of ungodliness. I think it's very important that we stay the course and live as Christians for our Lord in the midst of the context we're in for His glory. And if challenged by the king, we will take our stand and accept whatever consequences may come for the Lord's sake. But I love the little scripture. The Lord knows how to deliver His children. The Lord knows how to deliver the righteous. I love that. 
And my dear friends, the Lord knows how to deliver us as well. Um, I'll tell you a little verse I found in scriptures and in one of the major prophets. In the major prophet, it says, um, and, and the righteous perish. The righteous perish. And no one ponders it. That the Lord calls the righteous out of this world to spare them from the evil to come. I tell you what, when I read that verse, I realized that God is the God of His people even when He calls us out of this world because of evil's sake. May the Lord be with you, you Daniels, you. <laughs> may, may He lead you day by day. May you read His Word and discover that you're not new to the, to the warfare. Listen, look at Scripture. The battle has existed ever since we fell into sin. Has it not? And the struggle now is yours. For you live during this time. Not Daniel's time. Not Lot's time. Not David's time. Not Jeremiah's time. But what? You live now. And yes, I know it's difficult. But we are Christians who know the grace that has been poured out upon us in Christ. We also are not naive and we are aware of the world in which we live. Amen? Are we aware of the world that we are presently living in? Who told us about the nature of that world? Who told us exactly what it looked like? Who came into this world and told us Himself exactly what this world was all about? The Lord Jesus did Himself. His Word did. So, my dear friends, be thankful for the means of grace that have informed you ahead of time. Amen? Do we have a hope as Christians to live for today as the minority? Yes, you do. And I pray that the Lord will be with you and that you will live for Him all the days of your life, no matter what. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we uh, look into Your Word in the book of Daniel. And Lord, we find much there about how a godly man was led and how he lived in an ungodly context. Lord, it, it's amazing to read. It's hard to comprehend in reality what it looks like until we turn and we look at our own situation here in America and in this world today. Lord, we recognize that we are the new Babylon. We recognize that we are called to live in that context. But Father, this morning, praise be unto You that You are the God of Your people. We thank You, Lord, that You have uh, so designed our life in the life of Your church, redeemed us through Your Son, given us Your Holy Spirit, all the means of grace that we might walk with You sufficiently, joyfully, and in the fullness of all that we need through Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God, thank You for being a God to Your people to the uttermost. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.